Good morning. My uh, throat's a little sore from a week up at camp. Um, you generally have to talk pretty loud to get the kids' attention, um, so bear with me. Um, does anybody know the verse that's outside the front of the chapel here? Do you know what verse that is? That's on a... Second Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about camp, what happened uh, this past week. Um, we had a lot of new creations, um, a lot of uh, new births. It was a fantastic week. Um, we had about 14 or 15 kids, I can't remember, uh, somewhere around there, profess uh, Christ as their Savior and accept Christ into their heart. Um, almost every day somebody, some kid got saved, and it was just a blessing and a, a constant encouragement We'd come together to the morning uh, counselor meetings and to hear, you know, so-and-so came, came up to me and just, you know, asked, like, how, how can I be saved? What, what do I need to do? And um, just to be able to take them through and to be able to, even in those few days, to see a change in their lives. Um, kids that got saved on Monday were different people on Friday. And uh, you really see how people are on that uh, nice eight-mile hike we go on. And uh, uh, we also play a couple games with them, and, you know, you, you get a real taste on uh, what they're like, you know, how sensitive they can be, how emotional they can be. Um, and it's just, it was just a fantastic time of ministry. Uh, uh, Dave was able to give uh, uh, chalk talks in the evening, and that really, really kept the kids' attention. Um, and uh, they asked me to go ahead and share with you guys and to thank you for all your prayers. Um, there's still a lot of prayers that are, are needed. Um, for the kids, a lot of the kids that got saved um, already had a, a desire and a fire in them to tell their families who aren't saved. Uh, we had a couple kids wanting to call home, and uh, normally when we hear that, we try to push them off because we think that they're homesick, and we don't want them to feel like they can go home. And it's, it's not, that wasn't the case. It was, I, I need to tell my parents about the Lord. I need to tell them how to be saved. You know, I don't, I don't want to wait. Um, so that was encouraging, too. So just continue to pray for them. And there's a lot of kids in the Ontario area that we're going to try to get their contact information and see if we can't get them out to uh, Sunday school and uh, Boys Brigade. Some of them were already, you know, 13, 14, uh, almost of age. So uh, if you have any other questions, uh, feel free. Uh, we have a 1,000 stories to tell, um, some that sh can be shared from the pulpit, some that cannot be shared from the pulpit. Um, so yeah, go ahead and ask anybody who was up there. And I was asked to somehow tie that into our message uh, this morning. And uh, last time I spoke in the morning, uh, I spoke on uh, Christ as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And we're going to continue on that thought as Christ being I am the light of the world. Um, and it was interesting because up at camp, the theme was creation. And uh, so in the evening when we had our devotionals with the kids, uh, we went through creation. And then we also went through Romans, why creation is so important, how um, even those that have not heard the gospel are still held accountable because they have witnessed God's creation and they know that there is a greater being than themselves. So as we're speaking about light, um, there's many references in scripture about the light and I have a couple of them listed here. Uh, light as the glory of God's dwelling place, light as the nature of God, Light as the impartiality of God, light as favor of God, 
light as God as illuminator of his people and Christ as illuminator of man. Um, that's the one we'll probably be focusing on uh, more so. Uh, light as the illuminating power of scripture, light as judgments and commandments of God, light as guidance of God, light as guidance of man, light as salvation, light as righteousness, light as being a witness for God, and light as prosperity and general well-being. Um, so there's, there's, it's, when I started really, really getting into this topic, it kind of exploded um, in my face, and I wasn't sure where I was going to go um, with it, but when we were up uh, for the week up at camp, the amazing thing was kids getting saved. I mean, it was, it was absolutely unbelievable, like, you know, to think when was the last time somebody really got saved here at Claremont, and then to go up there and have 15 kids get saved out of the 50 that were there. Um, you know, and many of them had already professed salvation, and uh, many of them uh, still had doubts, and to be able to um, give them verses that they can take with them that can assure them that uh, once they are in Christ, they can never be uh, plucked out of him and his Father's hand. Um, so that was a great encouragement. So uh, if we can go ahead and start, we're going to start with Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So right in the beginning, we have light mentioned, and it was a, what was used to divide something, to divide what's, what's light and what's dark, and to be able to see that relating God's original creation of the heavens and the earth to the creation of a new believer, um, the idea that we were without form, that we were void, and that darkness was upon the face of the deep, we were dead. We were dead outside of Christ. And the fact that when God spoke, let there be light, it is that same power, that same God that speaks into the heart of an individual to convict them of the sin and show them the way of salvation. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing to be up there and to have kids ask these constant, constant questions. And they're so amazed with creation, the fact that God created all of these things. And sometimes I think we take for granted the just the immense power that is displayed when one person accepts Christ. You know, what it really, really takes for these kids to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again, and then all of a sudden, the light shines in their heart, and they know what it is, and they know they're a sinner, and they know they need a Savior, and they go and they trust Him. We've also seen kids that get to that point and reject it, and we know how discouraging that is. And we know that God is merciful and that God will continue to um, bear with them uh, to continue to try to bring them unto his son. Uh, God is, uh, one of his attributes is forbearance. Um, he is able to bear with us in our, in our attitude. So speaking from light and creation, I kind of mentioned it earlier. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 4. And you don't have to flip with me. We're going to be going through. I'll be reading. So... It's up to you. If you want to hold me accountable, you can. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul speaking, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is our purpose here. That was Paul's purpose, and that is our continued purpose. Uh, We are to um, have that same light that was shined into our hearts. We are to tell others about it. We are to give that knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Um, He is the image of the glory of God. I think sometimes the kids come up there uh, that uh, don't know Christ, that aren't saved, and God is somebody that they're very, very afraid of. Uh, They're timid, um, and they don't have a relationship with Christ, so they don't know that Christ is our example of who God is. Christ is how we can know God, and they look at God in fear. And it's not a fear of reverence, it's a fear like, it's a fear fear. And that's what's leading them to realize that if they don't trust Christ, they're going to have to face the wrath of God, and they're afraid of that. What happens is it seems like people get older. As I got older, I got less and less afraid um, of that taking place. And you start to convince yourself that that would never happen, that God is just so loving and not to be feared, and he would never do such a thing like send somebody to hell. Um, What kind of God is that? But we see in Scripture that that is not the case, that the only way is through Christ. And so... When we see that uh, in verse 6, it says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing, the power, like I say, that takes place every time someone gets saved. And the purpose of going through these uh, I am statements, and we will get there, uh, Lord willing, um, is to show forth the glory of Christ in all his attributes and how he relates to the people and how he, what he uses to identify himself uh, with those that are his and with those that do not belong to him. Um, last time I spoke, we went through Romans 1, 1, 16 through 32, and it was talking about, I, I kind of use the term uh, a rotten sinner. It's talking about somebody that has no knowledge of who God is, no knowledge of Christ, that the only... The only um, witness they have is creation itself. Um, They are not a refined person. They are without law. And in Romans chapter 2, it gets into others that condemn themselves uh, through their own conscience. And those that uh, do not necessarily have religion, but they have a conscience and they are a little bit more refined. And I refer to them as the refined sinner. Um, And it gets later on into the religious sinner, those that have religion and Um, continue to sin anyway, and they're held guilty according to the law that they have. Um, But it's interesting that in 2 Corinthians, it talks about speaking to somebody's conscience, um, getting their conscience to convict someone, to reason with them, and to show them from Scripture and from their own life that they are indeed a sinner in need of a Savior. And so Romans chapter 2, it says, uh, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, 
Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same things, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel." These are all the judgments that take place. And what brought me to Christ was my own conscience. It was something that took place where the pride will blind you. And Satan uses that to blind you, your own pride, the fact that you're better than others, that there are worse people than you. And it seems like when that takes place and you see somebody that is a quote-unquote Christian doing wicked things, if you are unsaved, that is a checkpoint to, okay, I'm, I'm good, because look at how wicked that person is. And if he thinks he's going to heaven, well, he's not going to get there in front of me. Um, so I think the idea is, you know, that, that Paul in, in uh, Romans and in Second Corinthians is alluding to is the light that is shining in people's conscience. And the fact that God has many, many, many ways to show forth his light. He can show it forth through scripture. He shows it in his creation. He shows it through us, and he shows it through our actions, things that we do, how we live our lives. Um, we see in, in other passages, especially with Paul, that he literally came out as a light and blinded Paul and showed himself that way. Um, God is capable of doing anything he wishes to get across his gospel and to get across showing the light to somebody and allowing them to make the decision and the one picture we have in the Old Testament is in Leviticus, in chapter 6, where it talks about the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was to be going constantly, 24 hours a day. They'd offer it up in the morning, they offer it up in the evening, and it was a constant fire on the altar. And just to think that everyone gathered around the tabernacle, there's always light coming from that tabernacle. There's always fire on the altar. And it's a constant reminder of the fact that there is a reason why offerings are being burnt. And the reason is because of sin. And the interesting thing that we see in creation, when it says, let there be light, that the, you know, the earth was without form, it was void, and darkness was upon the deep, God was then making a place that was bringing order. 
And when God created man, he created him perfect, and he fell. And this whole process of Christ's coming is to bring things back into order. And we know that order will be complete in the day when he casts Satan and all of his followers into the lake of fire. And there will be a new order. So we're going to go ahead with all of this background of speaking to the conscience and of light. We're going to go ahead to go to John chapter 8 and get into Christ as the light of the world. It was interesting, last, uh, last night I was reading out loud the story of Jesus forgiving this uh, adulterous woman, and um, Kathy said, well, why are you reading that? I said, well, that's what takes place right before he goes into his statement that he is the light of the world. And we were kind of surprised that that was, you know, what was, what was going on before he goes into this teaching. And when he's... Last time we spoke on the bread of life, he had just fed the 5,000, and he had traveled over the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum, and those that were there followed him, and they wanted more bread. They wanted to eat again. And it made sense that he would go into the transition, well, I am the bread of life. I can satisfy. I can give eternal life. So it was an interesting way of figuring out why is he speaking in such a way right after what takes place. So... Go ahead, John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. One of the things that I wish... Uh, I knew is what he was teaching on, about in the temple that day. Um, was it somehow related? Was he speaking of something that the Pharisees went out and found a specific person um, caught in adultery? Was he speaking? Who knows what he was talking about? But for some reason, the Pharisees brought this woman to him that they might uh, have reason to accuse him. And we see uh, in Deuteronomy what happens when you bring somebody that's worthy to be stoned, the person that's, first, that's supposed to cast the first stone is the witness that brought them. Um, you're supposed to have at least two witnesses um, to convict this person and make them worthy of, of being stoned, and then those two are supposed to be the ones that cast the first stone. Um, but it's interesting that Christ uses uh, he that is without sin among you. Let him first cast the stone at her. We, we know that the only one 
that was without sin was Christ. So why didn't Christ pick up a stone and throw it at her? I mean, that's a real question. She's guilty. Caught in the very act. Brought out. There was a man there without sin. Why didn't he throw a stone? It's, it's mind-boggling the mercy that Christ continues to show to people that are not his. Um, there's been you know, instances where there's individuals that go to schools and, and with a weapon and, and kill people. And um, they see it happen. And we go through this court system where it's like, we saw this man. It was on camera. This guy went in and shot all these people. But we're going to hold trial and we're going to do all these things. And my attitude is, well, if you see it on camera, what are we going through the trial for? Just shoot the man. He's, he's guilty. Just get rid of him. And you catch yourself. You catch yourself because that's not the light that was shown you. That's not the grace that was shown you. And that's not the mercy that you have received. And it's an attitude check. And it's a reminder of the joy we have in Christ. That he is the light of the world and we are to follow after him. And when he sees somebody that's brought to him worthy of death, able to be stoned, and a one without sin among them able to cast that first stone, and he does not. His forbearance should be like ours. We should be able to bear with people. A lot of times uh, we'll get angry and we'll be frustrated. Um, but it's passages like these that remind us we are to be merciful and we are to be forgiving. And it reminds us of what we were forgiven of. Uh, I know I have a lot to be thankful for in my own actions and in my own conscience uh, for what has taken place. And it's interesting here that when he says that, I mean, he, he says, you know, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped down and was riding. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. The other thing that strikes me in this passage is that they went away from the light. They didn't go to the light. They didn't come to Christ and ask for more teaching. They walked away. And we see that all the time. People find out that in, indeed, it's like they never knew before, but indeed they are a sinner. And they find out, and they're so ashamed, and they're so hurt that they walk away. And they go back into the darkness. And they don't approach the light. And there's another passage later on with Judas, we won't turn to it, where Christ gives him the, the bread with the sop and tells him, you know, what you do, do quickly. And it says, and Judas leaves, and it was night. And Judas walked out of the room where the source of light was, and he walked away. And we think how amazing it is that somebody could do that. But then again, we don't give God enough glory when somebody accepts Christ, and that light shines into their heart, and they become a new creation, a brand new creation, something that was never there before, something that was dark and void and without form. So thinking on why didn't he cast the stone, we're going to go to John 3. The one verse that we tried to, to get every kid to memorize 
um, by the end of camp, of course, John 3.16. And what we try to have the kids realize is this is a promise that they can either accept it or reject it. You either believe John 3.16 or you don't believe John 3.16. And it's not enough just to be able to recite it. You've got to know what it means. You've got to know why. And you have to praise God that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And the one instance in this passage that is amazing is, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that is honest with himself comes to the light because in a way he's afraid. He's, he knows the judgment that's coming. He knows he's guilty and he know he, he, he's already been judged. He's already been condemned. But God was willing to send his son that the world may be saved. Not that the world would be condemned, but that the world would be saved. And he has been able to give mercy and bear with us during this time that we were saved, that we became new creations. Um, it is a picture to us of the love that he has and being willing to put up with us. Um, with the kids in the cabin, it's definitely a, a test. And, and they definitely test your, your patience and your strength and your voice. And... Um, it's a continual prayer that we have to show forth the love and the grace of Christ to these kids. And uh, that is not our, most times, not our natural response. Um, there are times when, as we would say now, the, the hand comes out and it becomes an authoritative talking to. Um, but we keep, each, <laughs> we keep each other in check and um, we try to hold each other accountable. And the amazing thing we found is that when Monday and Tuesday we have a break, well, every day we have a break between 12 and 1. And on Monday and Tuesday we use those breaks to go back to the cabin and take a nap. And um, the first two days we found that the enemy was attacking us, that uh, we were starting to feel uh, inadequate, that we were wondering kind of what we were doing up there, and um, we needed some serious strength. And... Um, we were convicted that we weren't praying. And we decided that instead of going back to the cabins and taking a nap, we were going to encourage one another and pray together and uh, ask the Lord to, to do a work because we had already kind of thrown our hands up in the air and said, you know, I'm done with these kids. Um, it gets to the point where you hear all the, all the kids come and, you know, at, at the, at the mealtime, it's, oh, can we make these people sing a song? And can we have a pillow fight at night? And can we this? And can we all this fun stuff? And um, I wasn't having none of that. So, <laughs> so we, we, we kind of we made an agreement where they were going to, and oh, yeah, we had a pillow fight in ours, and we had a pillow fight in ours, and then it got to me, and it said, you know, I, I felt like if, if God wanted these kids to have a great time in the cabin at night, they would have had a different counselor. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? 
but you know, they, they obviously got mine for a different reason. And it was a test for me to show forth this, this love. Um, the fact that, that in my cabin most of the kids were saved. And it was a time to impress upon them the light that they had received, that they were to be showing it forth to others. And if they were doing things that were contrary to that light, that they were actually working against Christ. And how serious that is. And we went through the judgment seat and that they will have to be accountable for everything that they've done, good or bad. And all of a sudden, they got, things got really, really serious. And they started taking it more and more serious. And I started taking it more and more serious. And kids were getting saved left and right. And we know that it is, as it was in creation, the Spirit of God moving upon the waters, the Spirit of God was moving upon those kids' hearts. And the power of God to command light to shine in their hearts. And the fact that Christ is that light. Christ is the light of the glory of God. And when we come together to, to remember him on the Lord's day, that's, that's who we remember. That awesome, awesome power. That light that was blinding. That was able to convict the, the hardest of hearts that we are sinners. That I was a sinner. Um, it took many, many years. But God continues to work. And we continue to pray. And the thing we need to do is to continue to pray to continue to shine this light. And Matthew, it talks about on the Sermon on the Mount, he goes through a period of blessed are they's. And in Matthew 5.14, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses... Oh, wait, hang on. 5.14. That was 6.14. 5.14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There was a young boy up there at camp. His name was Jonathan Jaquish. And um, he was, without a doubt, the most Christ-like kid I had ever met in my entire life. He had a constant smile on his face. He was always helping people. He was never in a bad mood, and I think he said like there were seventy some verses. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And um, just what an example he was that the other kids looked up to him. And you know what a coincidence it is to have kids like that in the camp and have all these other kids get saved. And you see it where I had a young camper who. Uh, had a kid do something with his hands, and then he kind of pushed on him, and the kid got hurt, and he was crying and went back to the nurse. And the kid came up that was in my cabin and told me what happened. And so I said, well, why'd you do that? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, how do you feel about it? Well, I feel bad. Well, so what are you going to do? I don't know. So I, I got a taste of what I was like as a kid, I guess, and um, you know, how frustrating it is as, a, as an adult. But... I told him, I said, well, you need to go and you need to ask forgiveness. You need to go up and ask the kid to forgive you. And he says, well, what if he doesn't forgive me? I said, well, that's not, your, that's not what you need to be worried about. It's not about that. You need to go and be an example of Christ and go and ask for forgiveness and submit yourself knowing that you've made a mistake and that you've done wrong. And thank the Lord it was a, a kid that was a believer and, and he, had, 
he had been saved for quite a while, good teaching at home. And my cabin, uh, my cabin uh, camper went up to him and said, you know, I'm sorry about this, and, you know, do you forgive me? And the kid said, oh, I forgive you. No, no big deal. But thanks for coming and, and asking. And that kid got saved that night because he was shown forgiveness. And it was just an amazing example of what such a small thing can do. Had he, had he not come to me and said, this is what I did, and I feel bad about it, he may have never went up to that kid and asked the kid to forgive him. But just that one little act of that forgiveness shown, boom, speaks. And it's something we need to remember when things take place, when people hurt our feelings, when things don't go our way, when you've got to kind of break down the campers, and, you know, you're accountable to that. And after I kind of snapped at my campers, I had to go back to my cabin and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry I snapped. Um, we'll try not to let it happen again, but uh, we'll see what happens. But, I, you know, do you guys forgive me? And they say, yeah, you know, we forgive you. We were being bad, you know, this and that. I said, it's still not, you know. And they said, no, it's, it's okay. So, I mean, it was just, we just had a great week up there. And to finish off this message on Christ being the light of the world, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians um, 5. We're going to refer to that verse that's outside the chapel here. 5, verse, verse 10. <clears throat> and this is uh, Paul talking as, as being a minister of reconciliation. Uh, the idea of Christ reconciling us back to the Father. Verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God's desire is that we be Christ-like people, that we follow Christ. And the more and more I study these statements of Christ, these I am statements, um, it's amazing how much of scripture you have to go through to actually find out what he's saying. Um, the fact that how important somebody else's conscience is and what we do that affects their conscience. Uh, things that we may never know, but 
the glory of God to shine forth in people's consciences in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we love one another. And, uh, you know, his commandment is, you know, they will know you by your love one for another. Um, that's one thing that was impressed upon me up at camp. Uh, we had guys up from, from Silica, uh, you know, one guy, uh, Duncan, who's not here this morning that I had never met, and all the staff, and um, just being together. And it's like, we all love one another. And it was just a fantastic time. And the kids responded. And we felt comfortable letting all our campers talk to all our cab cabin leaders because we knew each other. Um, and we were able to show forth that as a group. And we were able to be, in a way, ministers of that reconciliation, showing kids that, look, Christ died for you on the cross. But have you ever, have you ever asked him to actually save you? Have you ever come to him and say, you know, I, I, I'm going to hell, Lord, but you say in your word that you'll save me, so will you save me? And we have promises in God's word that the kids have taken home with them in their hearts, and uh, that's what we ask for uh, prayer for, that they are able to continue to grow, that they are to, able to find an assembly or a church, a Bible-believing church where they can get into the word, and that other believers will come alongside. Uh, Lord willing, though, most of those kids will be up at camp again next year, and have uh, wonderful testimonies to give. Um, but we know that the enemy is always waiting to pounce on those that have newly trusted Christ. So if we can all keep them uh, in our prayers, that would be much appreciated. Um, and we'll go ahead and close with that. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, for your word. We are so thankful for your son that he is the light of the world. Father, that that light has shone forth with a great power and, Father, that those uh, that are your children, that light has shined into their hearts. Father, we are thankful that we are all called to be saved, that every single person is called to be saved. Father, we pray for those that have accepted that calling, have come to your Son and asked them uh, to be their Savior. We just pray for a continued growth and a watering of the seed. We think of those at VBS that heard the word day in and day out and had a, a different adults ministering unto them, we just pray, Father, that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ continue to shine forth in our lives day in and day out. And we thank you for our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.